Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're discussing chapters 7 through 12 of The Burning Wings. As we were discussing before, we've introduced a new character, and it is, I think, the character of your dreams, Erin. I'm obsessed. This <laughs> the horse. The horse is so funny. Like what a concept. And I'll go I like looked I read the Wikipedia. I did some really in-depth research. No. <laughs> I just read the Wikipedia. Um and I love this horse even more for what it was in history, you know? Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm just obsessed with the fact that there's a sentence that he says, I heard the, the, the name the horse and a shiver went up my spine. <laughs> Can you imagine? I completely forgot about this character from the first time I read it. Like, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember the horse. And I feel like my life was really missing something. Because, like, the horse is something that, like, an immigrant mom would say to describe something that is not a horse. <laughs> when she's, like, trying to, like, remember, like, a, when you don't speak English, like, anyone who, like, is bilingual and, like, mm-hmm. doesn't come off to the tip of their tongue, they'll be like, oh, you know, like, for Mickey, Mickey Mouse, like, you know, the rat, like, he's there. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. this is the horse, and you're talking about, like, um, like, a zebra or something. It's like, oh, the horse. And so that the makes fact- me think of like everything, everywhere, all at once. The raccoon, raccoon-y. yeah, the, the rat is here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so that's just sort of, so the fact that Apollo is like it instills fear in him is I know. hilarious. And the fact that it's actually just a horse. <laughs> it's not. It's <laughs> not, not a centaur for anything. It's no. a horse. <laughs> it took me a while to understand that. Because as mm-hmm. the book was, like, as the chapters were going, he, like, kind of, he hears it. He doesn't see it, really. And it clumps around a little bit. And then it's, like, speaking on the phone. Right? How is it holding a phone? How is it holding the phone? And then, so I didn't understand. I was like, oh, this is, like, a centaur. Or this is a man who's built really weirdly. And so he's the, the horse. But then they, afterwards, they're like, he's just, like, a regular horse. Who can talk? Who can talk? Hold a phone somehow. Does he have thumbs? How does he dial? How does he swipe? I didn't even think about that, but now I'm going to hyper fixate on it. (laughs) Is he on Tinder? How does he swipe? (laughs) Asking for a friend. You know, is the horse single by chance? (laughs) Let's make some centaurs. Oh, God. Is that how (laughs) centaurs are made? Is he the father of all centaurs? He is the horse, the original horse. (laughs) All right, well, to finally kind of get into our chapter, um, to summarize it, we're going to find Gleason Hedge. We're going to name drop our emperor finally, and we're going to head towards Malibu. Just concluding Gleason as many times as we can now. As many times. It's because we knew that these books were about Glee, and now he's the son of said Glee. It's perfect. So I've got chapters 7 through 9. Chapter 7. Family fun packs should be for frozen pizzas, not for frag grenades. Don't know if that's how you say that. I don't know what a frag grenade is. Me neither. I don't care to. Yeah. I don't know. 
So we left off with Apollo looking for Hedge, or Gleason, mm. in Macro's Military Madness, which is an army surplus store, which I had a moment where I was like, do other countries have these? This feels really American, like to have a store so. with like guns and camping supplies. Like it's very America. I'm gonna look this up. Maybe they just have exactly enough for their army. Yeah, they don't overfund. Uh, Canada, New Zealand, and many European nations. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't think they sell the guns because I don't think a lot of that is legal in a lot of other countries. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I'm sure they have other supplies that they can get. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Hmm. I was just like, wow, what a... What an image. Mm. This store is full of weapons, camouflage, propane tanks, guns, etc. They make their way towards the guns because they're like, that's probably where Coach Hedge is. Apollo is getting a weird vibe from all the employees at this store, but Grover reassures him he doesn't smell any monsters, so they should be fine. These are just humans. Predictably, they find Hedge in the gun section, filling a shopping cart with rifles. Then they're approached by the manager of the store, a large man who overheard Apollo, like, saying his name and introducing himself to to Gleason. And he asks if it's really Apollo. And Apollo's like, if it is, what are you going to do? And he's like, I will give you free stuff. And Apollo's like, well, then, yes, it is me. (laughs) Which is so, it's so obviously a trap. I'm like, have you learned nothing in your time here? No, he's back to... To zero. Yeah, square one. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. This man's name is Macro, the owner of the store, and he orders the other employees to shoot the satyrs and, like, keep Apollo alive. These dudes are, of course, working for the Emperor, and Apollo eventually recognizes the name Macro, Navius Sutorius Macro, a praetor who killed Emperor Tiberius, working under the orders of the next emperor, known as Neos Helios. Or Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus. He doesn't give us a shorthand yet. He's like, I'm going to hold that one out for another another chapter or two. I love the idea that he's like, it's him. And then gives us the most ridiculous name he could possibly think of. I know, right? Hmm. It's so many words. (laughs) So chapter eight. We blow up some things. You thought all the things blew up? No, we found more things. Oh. Lots of bombs going on and guns and weapons. That's very millennial of him. <laughs> All the things. All the things. We found more things. Grover and Apollo make to run away while Coach is just a liability as he was in Heroes of Olympus and he tries to attack everyone and everything. Macro's other employees are all automatons, so even when defeated, there are tons more in storage. So basically, he's like, you cannot defeat me. So it's an uphill battle. Macro mentions, while things are exploding and they're all fighting and stuff, that he needs to keep Apollo alive, um, per the Emperor's orders, and hopes that there'll be enough left of Apollo for the Emperor's magical friend to work with, a sorceress that can take Apollo into the maze. It's like, why do these villains always drop the most vital (laughs) pieces of information? Like, what? For free. Yeah, there's clearly no screening process when they hire their goons. 
I think that's the main thing. I mean, we, on the other hand, had a whole like Google, uh, what a form for our mob. No, they're not goons. They're mob members. That's true. They're esteemed mob members. Yes, that's true. Whereas goons are um, like two levels below a mob member. And the below goons are the henchmen. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess like goons and henchmen don't even have to submit an application. They just have to be big. Yes, it's about more physical appearance than it is about qualifications. So it's like looks over brains, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we are looking for both. In our, mob. <laughs> actually, our mob has to be really hot, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the number one requirement. But anyone who listens to this is automatically hot. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, so you're welcome. <laughs> So Grover then comes out of nowhere and buries Macro in a raft from the outdoor, like, adventure section of the store, and then gets the others to follow him and flee. They, like, kind of go into a back room, and Grover tells Hedge he needs to stop being stupid because he has a family to care for. And Hedge says, don't you think I know that? We tried settling down with the McLeans in L.A., Look how that turned out. So he's like giving us some tea. He's spilling some tea of something mm. happened uh, with the McLeans in LA. And uh, now he's back to being a liability. He tried being a stay-at-home dad and he couldn't do it. Um, so we get that tidbit of info for later. They try looking for an exit, but Macro's like, you you can't escape. He's already called the horse. <laughs> It's the capitals. Uh, how, do, how do you think he called? Do you think he called the horse on the horse cell phone? Yes. The fact that the horse has a phone. I really hope, I don't remember, but I really hope, I'm assuming we see the horse. I genuinely don't remember. And I really hope we learn how it answers the phone. Like, does it Me have too. like a little belt? Like a little pack? But does how it does have it like the, a button? Like, the Bluetooth headphones and it's using Siri to do oh. all of its stuff. Does the horse text or is it like only call? Only call. Because it could use voice to text. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> the horse being like, Siri, call macro. <laughs> and I was again like, it always goes back to horses and these... Like, the Greeks loved horses. Rick loves horses. There's a the lot. The Greeks like horses. The Romans like wolves. It's just, you have yeah. your animal, you go with your theme, and you mm-hmm. just go for it. Yeah, you pick a theme. Exactly. They co- they commit. Mm. Um. So they're in, like, a back supply room where there's a bunch of automatons while they're, like, macro, you know, got trampled by the, by the raft. So he's taking a second to catch up to them. And Grover is like, I have a plan. And he uses the knowledge that he learned from Annabeth during the Battle of Manhattan. And he reprograms a few of the automatons to work for them. And then they give them some commands to, like, attack. And they circle, well, Macro and his automatons, like, burst through the door. And then they tell the automatons to attack. And then they make a circle. But they accidentally, the automatons, like, weren't really understanding things perfectly. And the automatons, instead of just, like, circling them and blocking them off, actually start doing a plan of um, self-destructing and <laughs> blowing up Macro. Which isn't, you know, the wrong thing, but that means that 
Grover, Hedge, and Apollo need to get out of the way. And so they uh, are able to get out just in time and like pry open the door or something. I actually, yeah, window, I don't know. Details. <laughs> they pry open something and get out just in time as the automatons explode and blow up Macro. We're a really hard time not saying Marco. I know, I kept reading it as Marco. Yeah. Yeah. Macro. I think that's like a gym term, right? Like people like get their macros in. It's like a food. I mean, prob- oh, probably. I yeah. Don't know. I don't know. I was just like thinking if he had a brother, like they named him Micro. Macro and Micro. Macro and Micro and the horse. And the horse. It's the best band name yeah. ever. It's the power. It's a power group. Yeah. The horse, honestly, that's a good band name. Just like capital, the capital the horse. horse. Yeah. What a good code name, too. <laughs> is it? <laughs> the horse yes. is here. <laughs> I just like the way they say it with like really intense. Uh, like I imagine like every time they say the horse, it's like ominous music in the background. And it's like really just like the lights flicker. <laughs> just a horse that speaks English for some reason. <laughs> it's literally all it is. Oh, and has a phone. And as a phone, yeah. Maybe the actual thing is all along is the horse's just ability to use technology. That's the horse why is it's... gonna fly a plane next. Like... <laughs> you all were worried about AI. The real threat was the horse. The horse. <laughs> Chapter 9. Collect call from a horse. Do you accept the charges? Nay, a, 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 a. That's a good one. Sorry. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing. But honestly, yeah, sure. So they land in a dumpster, which is, again, Apollo's like, why does this keep happening to me? And they huddle as they hear debris rain down upon them from the bomb and the bombs and the explosions. And then they hear the clop, clop, clop of the horse's <laughs> hooves against the asphalt approaching the dumpster. And then they overhear the horse's voice and Apollo says it's like super deep. <laughs> Why? And he's like, the fear of God has been put into Apollo as he hears the horse. On the phone. <laughs> on the phone. Why does nobody explain how it has a phone? <laughs> what kind of, is this a flip phone? Is this like a smartphone? Because I don't think its hooves would work on a smartphone screen. Yeah, but how is how does it flip? Does it use its mouth? No, does it I flip it's gonna use voice act, so it must be a smartphone. It must be like a little Bluetooth that he puts in his ear. Yeah. You know, in the, back in the day, all the businessmen had the little Bluetooth in their mm, ear. Yeah, now it's just the AirPods. Yeah, yeah. now the horse has it. The horse has AirPods now. <laughs> So the horse is talking on the phone to someone he calls Big C. <laughs> it's really funny. And he's like, yeah, the place is gone. The human police are on their way. I gotta get out of here. I don't see anyone here. I imagine him kind of like a, a New York mobster for some reason. <laughs> he's like really deep voice. Then the horse clops away and the satyrs and Apollo get out of the dumpster. Hedge is like, was that a centaur? And Apollo's like, no. It was a talking horse and like doesn't elaborate on anything. He's just like, no, it wasn't a centaur. 
It was a horse. Which is much <laughs> scarier, apparently. <laughs> They're like, uh, does it, how does it speak English? And he doesn't give any details, but he knows mm. who this horse is, and it's further confirming who the emperor is. So together they drive back to the cistern and meet up with the desert plant dryads, Melly and Meg. Also, Coach Hedge's child, who's also there. <laughs> Chuck. Grover briefs everyone on what's been going on, and Apollo is surprised to see Grover in a leadership role. Like, he hasn't really seen a satyr or, like, someone so seemingly soft-spoken as greater. Grover? What did I just say? <laughs> someone? <laughs> someone? <laughs> greater? I don't know why that's funny. Okay. He hasn't seen someone as soft-spoken as Grover take in, like, a leadership role, and he's impressed with Grover. Because Macro said that the burning maze is a trap for Apollo. It's actually Apollo's, or Grover's like, it's actually kind of Apollo's fault that California's on fire right now. Mm. Because it's all part of this trap they're doing to catch Apollo. And Apollo's like, hold on, it's not my fault. And they're like, it kind of is. They're assuming that the next oracle, the Sibyl of Eurythrea, is at the center of the burning part of the labyrinth to lure Apollo. Meg, because she's curious about the right things. Like, she's like, can we, what's this talking horse you mentioned? And Apollo is like, ah, oh, yes, there was a horse. Its name um, is Incitatus. And uh, he's a magic horse that can talk. He is also a white horse. So he's the swift white horse. Um... And the emperor is the master of the swift white horse, the man who history remembers as Caligula. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Name drop. So, for my notes, um, I thought the military surplus store sounded like a Cabela's, which I think is an American thing. Or like, what's what that one? Called? The fish store? The ba- bass, bass Pro. Bass, bass Pro. Bass Pro Shop. I've never been in one of those. I've been I've in I've heard Cabela's. it's kind of fun. I honestly think Cabela's is kind of fun. They have really good camping gear. Mm. I've been there a few times because Mike's grandma, until recently, would send him a Cabela's gift card for every birthday and holiday. That's very and cute. And because I think Mike's parents like to shop there, and she just assumed because Mike is a boy and now man, I guess, <laughs> he um, likes guns. And Mike eventually was like, Grandma, I don't shop at Cabela's. And now she gets him Amazon gift cards. Oh, so much better. But we would always go and just buy, like, camping gear. They have, like, a lot of hiking shoes, and they have really good fudge. Honestly, like, it's not a bad time. I just avoid the gun section because it stresses yeah. me out. Yeah. Um, and speaking of the guns, I thought the fact that Hedge, who is, like, not even a human, he can buy multiple guns, it tracks, but also disturbing. Also, it's really it's really funny that the satyr who was supposed to be like one with nature and like all that stuff is like obsessed with violence and guns. Yeah, something enjoy the diversity. Yeah, yeah, something broke. Hedge broke the mold. He did. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not like other satyrs. He's yeah. psychotic. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's gonna be my time. I'm not like other girls. I'm psychotic. Just kidding. We're all a little psychotic. Hmm. Um, there is an interesting bit of world building mentioned here when Apollo Hedge is buying all these guns and Apollo is like why would you bother 
because um, when they fight ancient forces, modern weapons are unreliable and will often jam up. And like, that's why they use swords and arrows. Um, Therefore, we've said that simply giving Annabeth a gun would have fixed the problems. (laughs) It wouldn't have, unfortunately. Well, she had a special gun that was made out of celestial bronze. It's just like Apollo says that's really hard to make and very rare. And so she like has two bullets, like one for Kronos and the other one for Mother Earth. Like that's that's (laughs) all she gets. They should have invested their time in making one of those. Leo could do it. He could have, honestly. How hard? They have so many. They have like a whole storeroom of weapons. They can't knock one down or to make a couple of bullets. Percy Jackson with a gun oh. <laughs> would have been very That would have been scary. About. Would have been scary. I also have a question, and I'm wondering if I missed this, but why, or maybe we learn this later, but I'm like, why does the maze have to be on fire? Like, they had the, the Sybil there to lure him. Why does it also have to be on fire? I'm unsure. Maybe to keep her there? Or just to, like, do evil to the world. <laughs> yeah, that too. It might well, be keeping her there, yeah. Because they talked about it. The labyrinth is constantly trying... Like, Grover believes the labyrinth is trying to be helpful. And, like, is the like it, in, a, in a way, helped Grover, Meg, and Apollo get to the right place. Yeah. And mm-hmm. also, is like, the reason they see spurts of the fire come out of the maze is the labyrinth is trying to, like, put the fire out. Yeah. But the dryads don't believe that the labyrinth is evil, which is also yeah. fair. Yeah, it's like the the lab or the the burning part is like the infected part of the maze, basically. Yeah. And the maze itself is not evil. I don't know that it's good, but it's like not evil. I can know? also imagine, I don't know if Rick saw this or is gonna do this. I can imagine a situation where um the emperors try to take control of the labyrinth mm. which is something that you no one can really do and by doing so they've made it infected and it's become the burning maze oh yeah i don't know if they're gonna go in that direction that would be yeah. my prediction because like nobody can't control the labyrinth um even daedalus is like lost control of it from the very yeah. beginning so yeah it would be an interesting side effect that you created this monster that even they can't deal with oh i like that mm. i like it my last note is just some info on my new favorite horse <laughs> in the whole wide world. Not that I had a favorite horse before. <laughs> but um, so in Citatus, Caligula try- actually like tried to make him a consult. Um, he was his fav- favorite horse and his name literally means swift. So maybe Apollo should have put that together earlier. Yeah. Um, he tried to make the horse a consul. Um, but sources say that it's not clear if he actually succeeded. Uh, the horse had 18 servants, lived in a marble stable, and wore a harness decorated with rare jewels. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. I was like, oh, and the other funny fact I read was that the emperor would like invite, allegedly would invite other like dignitaries to dine with the horse <laughs> he'd be like come and eat with my horse and there's this really funny image on the wikipedia of like a bunch of men at a table with the horse there with them 
Oh and my I, god. I love it. I was like, he's just like me with my dogs. <laughs> he really he's just actually a, a white woman. Honestly, at the end of the day, yeah, with his fur baby. Yeah, yeah. He probably has, like, a horse mom mug. Yes. Horse daddy. Horse daddy, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But I did read, I thought this was really interesting. There's, like, a part on the Wikipedia about historical accuracy, and um, apparently historians have questioned if this was really that accurate because um, people who wrote about it uh, like who chronicled uh, Caligula and his horse were influenced by the political situation of their own times when at the time it was useful for them to discredit earlier Julio-Claudian emperors. Apparently the story was considered spicy at the time. It literally says it added spice to their narratives and won them additional readers. So there, it might have been like not necessarily that true. I think I'm guessing he was a horse, a horse girl, you know, but I don't. And he had his favorite horse, but it's debatable how weird he was about this horse. Well, it's interesting because I think that's what they say about Cleopatra as well. Right. Like Mm. the fact that she was just like in Rome, they were trying to illustrate her as this woman who just like slept around and was like, yeah, witch seductress. And in reality, she's just a woman. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Interesting. If fake news was even a thing back then. Yeah, fake news has always been, been real. Yeah. yeah, and it affects the horses. <laughs> the horse. Slandering the horses. Yeah. The horse, yeah, the sorry. The horse. The horse. All right, well, I have chapters 10 through 12. Let's go. Chapter 10. Cute kid you got there with the itty-bitty boots and murderous grin. So, Aaron and I both watch Yellow Jackets, so obviously I heard Caligula and I immediately thought of Misty's bird, who is for, like, she even mentions, she's like, he's named after the super murderous, evil Roman emperor. Which, um, honestly, I'm like, maybe that is, I mean, I thought it was because the, the emperor is remembered, I mean, she says in the show, she's like, he actually wasn't as bad as he's remembered or whatever, which is, yeah. you know, according to this Wikipedia page, people made up stories about him to make him seem worse because they wanted to uh, make a political move away from his his line or whatever. Um, but also, because he had a weird relationship with his horse, maybe mm-hmm. the Misty having a weird relationship with her bird, I was like, ooh, maybe that was, I mean, it was definitely intentional. But yeah, maybe they're also- like little uh, Roman history nerds on the writing I know, and Misty is also batshit crazy in a murderer. Yes, yes, exactly. Taking it with a grain of salt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, Apollo tells us a little about Caligula. He's known as the murderous emperor. His name is Caligula, meaning boots, because he used to wear adorable boots when he was an adorable child running around with his father in the army. He, like, his dad would bring him to camp, and all the soldiers basically nicknamed him Caligula because they thought he looked so cute in his boots. And so did Apollo, who was apparently hanging out in the area. He was there. <laughs> anyway, now he's a madman who loves torture. Mm-hmm. Apollo believes he's worse than Nero, but he doesn't make that claim out loud in front of Meg because that's, like, Meg's own personal demon. Whereas, like, he's like, oh, Nero sucked to the masses. But the, to Meg, he, he is the demon. So, 
Kaguya also loves traps, which is very specific. He's like, he loves tricks and traps. So like Hala, he's like an, uh, that's like his hobby, you know? He like got retired and he just <laughs> he retired from ruling and he's like really into traps now. <laughs> well, he didn't retire, actually. That's Historically, true. Caligula was killed by his own guards. Mm. So Apollo also thinks that he's ex probably extra paranoid now. And that's why he's trying to replace his men with automatons, and which is what uh, Macro had been supplying from his army store. Mm. Um, also, Apollo's sure that the burning maze is some sort of trap designed for, by him, by, for Apollo. Grover outwardly keeps his cool for the rest of the dryads as Apollo is kind of spewing all this information at them. They discuss the prophecy and how they have to free Sybil from Caligula and how to get through the maze. This is where we find out from Melly that Jason and Piper had gone into the burning maze after Piper had a dream about it. Classic. Classic. They returned. I read that and I was like, so they're lost in the maze and they have to go find them. But no, they actually returned. They said they had failed their whatever mission they had gone on. But Melly thinks that they actually encountered something that had scared them in the maze. No one has any details because clearly whatever happened between Melly, Hedge, Chuck, Piper, and Jason is just too hard to talk about and actually mm-hmm. give us information about. Grover promises to take Apollo and Meg to the McLean house in the morning. The dryads are scared. They're confused how the horse knew about Ithales when even they didn't even know anything about the home they're currently staying at. Meg pipes up and explains that it used to be a big house on stilts. The cisterns were support columns that offered geothermal cooling supplies. She then explains that she knows so much because this used to be her home. Her father built it. So this was the moment I thought I I would like punch the air. I was like, I knew it. Meg is thousands of years old. <laughs> I mean, Turn- you knew something, right? That she was connected to. I knew she was connected to this place. But I thought that this was her home. I thought this was ancient. Because that's what I was, I, the context that I had been given in the previous chapters is like, mm. dryads don't know anything about this area because they have, they're, they're more new than the area is. And so I was like, Meg is ancient. Somehow she's lived through time. And that is not the case. They just like, <laughs> she's an average aged woman, child, no woman, child. And mm-hmm. so I was a bit of a bummer. I had to, I wrote a whole note to being like, fuck yeah, I'm right. And had to delete it in shame. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and that gets us to chapter 11. No touchy the god, unless your visions are good, and wash your hands. Meg decides that this is where she will share, this is all that she's going to share with the group, and she leaves to go to sleep. Everyone else is also like, yeah, okay, that's enough information for today, we're all going to knock out. Apollo goes after Meg to check up on her. He gently asks her if she wants to talk about it, implying since that it is in the prophecy, it may be a good idea for him to know. Meg responds by grabbing his wrist and giving him a vision of her memory. In the memory, Meg is about five or six and is standing in front of the intact greenhouse with her father. Her father shows her seven special hexagonal, I think, seeds that have been passed down in their family. He says that they will be special strong plants, but he needs to wait for the correct time to plant them. The scene shifts and Meg is eavesdropping on her father who is on the phone and she's supposed to be in bed. 
He's very upset about his property and he seems like he's being kicked out of it. He's like, my life's research. You don't understand. The people on the phone don't seem to understand at all. The scene changes again and Meg and her father are leaving at Thales as men in dark outfits are encircling the property. They drive away as the property bursts into flames. Apollo comes out of the vision, confused on how Meg was just like able to just give him um, a vision. And Meg is just like, I just did it. That's just how I did it. Mm-hmm. I feel like because they got so connected in the last one when they shared that like trauma vision. Oh, Maybe yeah. Maybe she just tap into that. I don't know. That's what I think. So like if anyone that you've trauma bonded with, you can just like transport image, you know, transport oh. images in your brain to them. That'd be so cool, but I would send, like, mostly memes. (laughs) (laughs) So, like a phone. (laughs) It's like a phone, yes. It's actually exactly like a phone, but less invasive. More invasive, actually. More invasive, yeah. You can't can't put it on Do Not Disturb. (laughs) (laughs) You can't leave anyone on red. I know you've read it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Apollo is like, okay, it's not important how you're able to send me this vision right now what's important is that i understand you're in a lot of pain she's not outwardly expressing it but she clearly misses her father a lot and then being in this place is bringing up a lot of bad memories and horrible feelings meg says her father was philip mccaffrey and the two talk lightly about him for a bit apollo saying like oh he seemed like a good dad and he loved you and meg responding about his plants and how he smelled like mulch Apollo expresses concern about the quest, uh, but Meg is sure that Piper and Jason will be able to help them. She's like, they're part of the seven. That's Percy Jackson's friends who I'm in love, Percy Jackson who I'm in love with. (laughs) So they will be able to help us. She then heads to bed and so does Apollo. Chapter 12. O Pinto Pinto, wherefore art thou puke yellow? I'll hide in the back. Meg, Grover, and Apollo the next morning drive to Malibu with Coach's 1979 Ford Pinto. Coach is hopeful and ominous about the state they will find Piper and Jason. Like, clearly he knows some tea, but he's Mm -hmm. not willing to share. As they drive, Apollo notices that instead of the landscape getting greener like it should since they're going out west, it stays brown and dry. Apollo sits in the back seat and has memories or visions of the... Eutherian Sybil. He remembers her birth in Turkey. She was born singing, so he blessed her as one of his oracles. She sang to kings and heroes, and she would only sing her prophecy once, so it was always really hard to decipher. She predicted the fall of Troy. She advised the colony of Rome, and so much more. She roamed the earth for 900 years, but she started to despair, because all of her friends were dead. That's the thing about being immortal. Also because no one could understand her, so she never got to actually warn every, anyone. Kind of like Cassandra. Mm. Ooh, I wonder if Apollo will mention what he Right, I'm thinking. like, that was not a good look for you, Apollo. No. <laughs> so Sybil started telling her prophecies in a cave, and she no longer did it singing, just speaking haltingly. And she would like forget her words, which is like how she fills it in. She's like eight letter, eight letter word for uh, animal, and instead of actually saying like the word that it's supposed to be. 
Apollo thinks back on it and realizes he hadn't seen her in several centuries. The last time he had seen her, he had gone to lure her out just so she could go see Michelangelo's artwork and see if he could bring her back into the world. But she wasn't interested and she went back into her cave. He kind of feels guilty about not checking, remembering or checking in on her since like the 1500s. As they drive, Apollo asks about Piper and Jason. Grover has never met them, but he's heard that they've been under a lot of stress. They had been looking for Leo, and they had been on some other quests. And then Tristan McLean, Piper's dad, had something bad happen to him, though, again, Grover doesn't explain. They finally make it to Malibu, to the McLean house, to see a bunch of moving vans and super disgruntled superstars pacing in front of the house. They go inside the house to find it. It's really impressive inside, but it's completely empty. Piper is sitting in front of the fireplace, reading a stack of papers. Piper doesn't understand who they are, but recognizes Grover. She demands to know if Percy and Annabeth are all right, while Meg notices the papers Piper is reading is the financial records for the triumvirate. Apollo introduces himself and updates Piper on everything, including Leo. Piper then invites them to talk on the terrace away from the mover's ears. It's wild that, like, they didn't know Leo was still alive. I know. How did no, no one, one write to them? Well, there's <laughs> been no communication outside of camp. So Percy doesn't know letters. Leo's alive. I know. Well, that's the thing. Like, on their way to Indiana, like, now once they've left camp, can't they? The whole idea was, like, they couldn't communicate in and out of camp. Mm-hmm. And then I think, like, the Iris it. messages must not be working again. Yeah. But it's, like... Just send a postage. Send a paper. It's been so long. It would have yeah. gotten there. A postcard. Oh, Leo's no. alive. Smiley face. <laughs> face. Stop stressing. Yeah. Um. Some of my notes. Um. I think it's really funny. Clearly, Jason and Piper are fighting. Because <laughs> Piper's like Jason. I knew Jason wasn't telling me the whole truth, and like really mad at him. And I think it's refreshing because the you know heroes of Olympus. Jason could do no wrong and Piper mm-hmm. is just constantly insecure. So if they're like actually fighting, at least it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love Apollo's flashbacks and visions. I have realized because unlike dreams that the demigods have, instead of just observing, Apollo adds a flair of like a lot of insight and empathy to his subjects. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to read because he's not like that in his own narrative of like his own life. But when he's in these flashbacks, he tends to be great. Like, hindsight is great. Mm-hmm. And so even when he's talking about Sybil, he's feeling really sad for her. And he's understanding where her despair is coming from and how isolating it must have felt and how much he misses her beautiful singing voice. It's written in, like, those are the moments where he, he actually feels old. Mm-hmm. and someone who's been through a lot, whereas when he's, like, just talking as a narrator, he sounds like a really pretentious 16-year-old. Yeah. Um. So then I have some, not really predictions, but I'm guessing this is what's going to happen, go go down, or has happened. I have a feeling Tristan is having some side effects from his torture from um, Heroes of Olympus. Yeah. And so they really not- did like brush over that a lot. <laughs> well, she did give him like a potion to yeah. forget everything, but I yeah. think there's going to be some problems within that. That mm-hmm. it wasn't as effective as he thought, like as they thought it was going to be, and 
something's going on. I think that's put a strain on Jason and Piper's relationship. I think they're having a disagreement about how to take care of him. Mm. I also think that Jason and Piper, this is also me, my personal opinion. I think not having Leo around has really hurt their relationship because they don't really have that much in common. A lot of the emotional baggage and like emotional support that each of them were getting individually was coming from Leo. Yeah, and Leo was like, they both really cared about him. Yeah. Like, there's that, too. It's like, oh, we've lost yeah. a child, essentially. And so, like, they both are blaming each other and themselves. But I also, like, you know, as someone who has seen a lot of relationships in my life, I imagine that this is very much, like, from what they've written. Piper and Jason don't really talk about their feelings. They don't have a lot in common mm. except the fact they're randomly, apparently, attracted to each other. And... I feel like their the strain in their relationship is. We they're like, oh, we're actually living together now. We have nothing <laughs> I know that's to a talk big about. Jump. Like it they're is. moving in together with her dad. Like Oof. he moved in with the in law real fast, and the in law might be crazy. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, and Jason still like just kind of got his personality online, yeah. like at the end of Heroes of Olympus. Like he wasn't really a fully formed human <laughs> until the end. And it kind of feels like maybe Piper doesn't love the form that he's taking. Yeah, on. she's like, "Can you just go be go back to being like dumb and honest?" <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, got a couple of lightning bolt questions. So this one was sent to us by Emma. If you were a druid, what kind of plant would you want to be? Oh, um, I think something like flowery. I love jasmines. Mm-hmm. So I love this. I would always want to smell like jasmines. That'd so I nice. think that one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'm thinking like a some kind of succulent. I'm not super knowledgeable on them, but... um. Because they're, like, cute and small, and also I'm usually dehydrated, and they don't need a lot of water, so I wouldn't need to drink. I wouldn't need to remember my water. And you'd get a lot of sun. Yeah, and I could just, like, sit by a window all day. Yeah. That sounds so nice. To just, like, sit in the sun all day. Yeah. To be a plant. To be a plant. That's all we ask. Yeah. And then my next one is, like, (laughs) if you could have a talking animal companion, and it's, like, you know... It becomes the, the cat, the lion, you know, it's the horse. Yeah. What would you choose? And like, how would you, what would it do for you? Where would you bring it with you? How would you honor it? Um, I think I'd want to do something small. So like mm. the hamster. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I think I would make it a little hat. Mm, that'd be nice. The different hats that it has to wear daily. Daily it has a different hat. It has to be a different kind of hat. I think that would be really fun. I think it would be a fun project for me. I think it would be fun for the hamster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I think that would go really well. It'd sit in my pocket with its hat on. Aww. Yeah. That's cute. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like... I obviously would love to have a dolphin, but I think that would not be super reasonable. I don't live near like a, a saltwater pool. Mm-hmm. So I, and and like it couldn't go with me a lot of places, you know? Yeah. If it's really my companion, I'm trying to think of something that like lives a long time. 
Oh, that's true. My hamster would die in two Yeah, years. your hamster would be gone really fast. <laughs> well, um, it's the hamster. Maybe it's different. Yeah, but I don't want, like, a bug. <laughs> the cockroach. <laughs> Indestructible. <laughs> no. With little no, hats no. on it. Oh, that's kind of cute. The hats make it fun. <laughs> yeah, and I don't, I'm not a reptile girl. Mm, not the know. bearded dragon. <laughs> Oh, honestly, that could be kind of fun. Those don't scare me that much. Yeah. The bearded dragon. I just don't like the little, like, geckos. <laughs> Ooh. Um, or, like, a small, a very tiny dog. Like, the yeah. kind that fits in a purse. Oh, yeah. That lives to a very old age. Yeah. That would be fun. They but the dog. It would have to be something else. Like, the decrepit <laughs> chihuahua. <laughs> Peanut! <laughs> it's Peanut. He'd yeah. have to be smaller. I'd have to shrink. Yeah, he's not too big. Come back as like a very small chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> Just as decrepit. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, my question. So in this one, Philip McCaffrey goes all out to buy uh, to make his dream mm. house in the desert. What kind of like landscape do you want your, de- oh. uh, your dream house to be? I would love to be like on a like a beach, like a coast. Um, mm. It doesn't need to be like a cal- like a warm beach, just like a beach with sand. Um, I like the smell of the ocean, even though it's like fish. I'd love to have a, like a private dock. That would be really cool from yeah. my house. Um, and like a lot of nooks where you can like look out on the ocean. But not too close to the water. Like, I'd want to be higher up so that I don't get drowned in a tsunami. I don't know why I'm planning for those. Uh, for like, uh, <laughs> in your dream house? My dream house, I'm still like, well. <laughs> disaster prepared. What about the disasters? No. Yeah. Um, never mind. That doesn't matter because this is a dream. This isn't real. It can be in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I want... Um, I think something in the mountains, Ooh. like a cabin next to a lake, because I still mm. need to be near water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the ocean. I do love the ocean. I live very near the ocean currently. I think I live like five minutes from the ocean, mm-hmm. but it's not the ocean that you want to swim in in any yeah. way or form. Yeah. It's just storms. Like, so, I don't want to be near the, like, I don't want to be the Puget Sound. I don't want to be, like, far, like, the actual coast. Like, yeah, I, you yeah, know, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's different. It is. Mm-hmm. But I would want to be, like, nestled in Mount Rainier. Mm-hmm. So then, in this dream world, the snow wouldn't bother me too much. Like, I'd still be able to go do things. Cause I think I'd go start crazy. Like, it would be yeah. The Shining if I stayed in the cabin <laughs> the yeah. entire winter. But, yeah. um... Maybe some place, like, uh, in this magical version, I don't get stuck in the snow in the winter, but then, like, the spring and summertime, I have a bunch of wildflowers everywhere, lots of land. You could have a summer home and a winter home. Yeah. My this winter home world. is on the beach, but it's yes. a warm beach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Mm. But I do, I also want to experience the winter. I don't like running from it. Like, I want to have, like, a couple days where I feel the cold and the snow. I'd rather, yeah, but I don't like experiencing it for, like, as long as I do. I know. Like, not seeing the sun for nine months is rough. It's it's not great, you know? I'm like, I I bullet journal, and so I track my moods, and I was like, wow, May has had a lot of really, like, more positive days. And then I was like, it's just because there's sun. There's light inside. I'm so deprived. 
You're just a little succulent. You need your sun. Yeah, and no water. <laughs> no water. Don't drown me. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be continuing our journey with chapters 13 through 18 next time of The Burning Maze. We're going to find out why the girls are fighting. Oh, what's going on? What's the tea? If you are interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon. The link's in the episode description. The link to send us an audio message is there. And also, I wanted to mention for our 100th episode last week, which I didn't know we were doing this yet when we recorded, we are launching, we've launched, we have launched, because this is from the future, a Discord. Neither of us are, are like, well, we're like technically mods, but neither of us, we have had some wonderful people volunteer to mod because I don't know how to do things on Discord. Um, so you can go there if you want to chat with other people listening to the podcast. And I promise right now I am um, not very much on Discord because I have to use it for school. Oof. And so I have three or four other channels that I'm monitoring for school purposes. Mm. But that will be ending in a week or so. And Ooh. so then I get to delete those forever. That's so, so amazing. And I'll be back on Discord a little bit more and I can turn my notifications back yeah. on. And We're going to make a channel where people can like ask us questions like for Lightning Bolt or also if they have anything they want us to see, I guess we can have them tag us because otherwise yeah. I'm like I might not see I don't know yeah. unless there's like only two people who join it and then <laughs> you'll never know so a lot yeah. of people aren't on discord if you exactly. are come join I think it'll be fun yeah. you just have to like email us or dm to get the invite because it expires after like we can't just put the link in the episode description so yeah so reach yeah. out Oh, speaking of which, you can reach out. <laughs> Our social is at Camp Half Pod. You can DM Aaron there for a Discord link or email me, camphalfpod at gmail.com. After this week, which is this is the week as we're recording, it is June 1st. I am not responding to emails very fast, mm -hmm. but I will get to it after my finals are done and I'm mm -hmm. done with school forever. So we'll see you on the other side. Party. <laughs> And don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening to us. Bye-bye.